You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Here's the deal. Mark chapter 2, all they can do is condemn. Why are they picking the kernels of grain? Why in the world are they not fasting? And they're trying to keep all these religious rules because their relationship with God is one of a master. They got religion, but don't have a relationship. And once you come into relationship and you understand and appreciate the grace and the mercy that you have been granted, that there was nothing you could do to measure up, nothing you could do to please God. The only thing you could do is accept the free pardon that He offers. Throughout the Bible, we see God with many titles, attributes, and characteristics. God can be seen as a protector, a healer, and a miracle worker. But what happens when we get the identity of the Lord confused? What if we come to think of His titles as legalist, hater of sinners, or the one who won't forgive? In today's message, Pastor Danny will encourage you to be in your Bible, constantly learning more and more about who God really is. When we know who God is, it helps us to know who we are in Him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 2, as he continues his message, The New Covenant. So both John the Baptist disciples and John are, are fasting for religious reasons. And let's just say the Pharisees are fasting for religious reasons. And they come along and they say, why does Jesus and the disciples not fast? Why aren't you guys fasting? And Jesus gives a tremendous clue right in the text of Mark chapter 2 as to why they're not fasting. And here's what he says. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? That's a clear clue. How can the guests of the bridegroom Bridegroom, he's referring to himself. If there's a bridegroom, guess what? There has to be a bride. If there's a bridegroom and there's a bride, that means there's going to be a wedding. And I don't know how many weddings you've been to, but I've never been to a wedding where I fasted. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward and praying that they spend a lot of money. (laughs) And there's more than just, uh, you know, peanuts and punch. I'm hoping they went all out because I'm going to this wedding and you don't wedding and you don't have to buy tickets. You're invited and you go and you're praying. Yeah, yeah, boy, I pray there's a feast. <laughs> it is not an appropriate time to fast. A wedding is supposed to be a happy occasion. There's supposed to be laughter and music and dancing and, and you're supposed to be excited. And, and especially the bridegroom and the bride. So Jesus is saying. This is not an appropriate time to fast. They didn't recognize what's going on. They didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't recognize him. They didn't accept him. And so he's saying, you you guys don't know what's happening here. This is not an appropriate time to fast. This is a time to feast. The bridegroom has come. He's come to seek out a bride. It's a time. It's a time to throw a party. And every time you turn around, you find Jesus and his disciples, and they're at a party. 
the Pharisees hated that. They're fasting twice a week. Every time they turn around Jesus and his disciples, they're feasting. They say, why don't you fast? It's not time to fast. It's time to throw a party. Now, Matthew adds a third argument to defend his disciples. So one more time, go back to Matthew chapter 12. And let's go now. Again, verse 6, Jesus says, in regard to the priest desecrating the Sabbath day and yet are innocent, and he says, uh, and I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. I have authority. And then he says, verse 7, catch this. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Now, they would have known that those words are taken from the middle of the minor prophet book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. That's the verse that Jesus quotes here. He says, if you'd known what this means, you'd have had the right perspective and you wouldn't have been condemning the disciples and me and them for not fasting when it's the time to feast and you wouldn't have condemned them for the kernels of grain on the Sabbath day. You wouldn't, you'd have got a better perspective. You'd have got a right perspective. They especially should have known what these words mean because now go with me back to Matthew chapter 9. I told you it was a Bible study. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, stuff we've covered so far, but let's go back anyway. Verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew gets up, follows him. Matthew throws a party. They get to the party. Criticism from the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Why does your master, why does he... uh, Eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, verse 12, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he gives them homework. Mark didn't tell us this, but Matthew tells us, verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He gave them homework. And they didn't do it. And if they'd have done it, they would have known. They would have seen they would have realized. Now, don't send me thank you letters. If you want to send money, that'll be okay. That was a joke for the newcomers. That was a joke. But if you send money, I'll spend it. That was a joke too. I did the homework that they didn't do. And though it's not common for the teacher to share with the students the homework they should have done, (laughs) I didn't give you the homework. Jesus gave them the homework. I'm going to tell you what they should have done. Because we want to understand what that means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And we don't want to miss out on the blessing that they missed out on. But to do so, you've got to understand a little bit about Hosea. Go back with me to the Old Testament book of Hosea. It's a minor prophet. The only reason it's called a minor prophet because it's in the group of shorter prophetic books The major prophets just are longer books. That's the only reason one's called major and one's called minor. One's not more important than the other. This is one of the minor prophets just because it's shorter. Hosea is the first book in our Bible that has been dubbed um, a minor prophet. Hosea's prophecy was God's last attempt to call the Israelites away from their idolatry and wickedness before giving them over to judgment. Through Hosea's words and his very life, 
uh, God makes abundantly clear how much he loves them and how much he wants to show them mercy and forgive them. Hosea's name in Hebrew literally means Yahweh has caused salvation. The Greek form of Hosea's name you'll be very familiar with. The Greek form of Hosea's name is Jesus. Chapter 1 of Hosea, to understand Hosea 6, 6, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go take to yourself an adulterous wife. One translation is a wife of harlotry or a prostitute. And children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. It's not an excuse to marry an adulterer or a prostitute that's practicing that, but God goes to great lengths here <laughs> to prove a point and to, and to share a message. So Hosea obeys the Lord, and that took some doing. I mean, so he married Gomer, daughter of Deblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. He married Gomer. Imagine first time out with this girl. Hey, hey, Hosea, what's your girlfriend's name? Gomer. <laughs> hey, what's your wife's name? Gomer. Well, God bless you. Her mother's name is Deblium. That tells us something. Why? Because Deblium, guess what it means? Raisin cakes. And why is that significant? Because raisin cakes were used in worship of false gods for ancient fertility rites and worshiping those false gods. The name suggests that Deblium is an idolatrous person, and her daughter, Gomer, follows in her mother's footsteps. If she's not a prostitute, she's like a prostitute. She's been with many lovers. And God says to Hosea, go and offer to marry her. And Hosea does, and she accepts. And she has now found love that is just, I mean, it, it doesn't, it's Hosea, a man of God, a man of God committed to the Lord, and he goes and he marries this woman of harlotry. That's quite a story. They have children. Their first son, God says, name him Jezreel. Jezreel means judgment. And the whole family is meant to be a prophetic message. They have a second child, a daughter, and God says, name her Lo Ruhama. It means not loved. In other words, I pull my love away because of your idolatry and your sinfulness. They have a third child, a son. They have a third now, and God says, name him Loami. Loami means not my people. And yet, despite the message behind uh, the relationship and even the children, God says in chapter 1, verse 2, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In a place where it was said to them, you're not my people, they'll be called sons of the living God. Chapter 2 opens, save your brothers, my people, and your sisters, my loved one. So in the midst of potential judgment, there is hope. They marry, Gomer and Hosea, and after they're married, you never believe what happens. After they're married, Gomer goes back to her old ways. She goes back to her adulterous lifestyle. She's unfaithful to her bridegroom, to Hosea, who's been so good to her. Chapter 2, much of it is... Um, her painful path, her unsatisfied pursuit of blindness to the blessing she once had and how foolish the direction she's going in a fruitless life. Finally, her folly is exposed. And it's interesting, verse 11 of chapter 2. I'll stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. There you have what's meant to be the message behind the living illustration in the life of Hosea and 
Gomer and their children and family. It's a message to Israel. It's a message about Israel. What's the message there? Despite all your religious observance, your heart's not right with God. You're doing the church thing. You keep coming to church. You keep doing the religious thing. You claim to believe in God. You claim to know God, perhaps. That's what was happening in Mark chapter 2, and that's what was happening in Hosea's day. And though they kept up all this religious front, their hearts weren't right with God. And Gomer is meant to be a picture of that spiritual condition. But despite, despite her going away now and going back, to her old lifestyle. <laughs> you get to the middle of chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I'll lead her into the desert. I want to speak personally to her. I want to get along with her. And I'll speak tenderly to her. Now I'm going to give her a, a lesson and a lecture. There I'll give her back her vineyards. <laughs> I want to bless her. I'll make the valley of Achor a door of hope. What's the valley of Achor? That just happens to be the place that a man named Achan and his whole family were stoned to death. They come into the land of promise with the nation of Israel. First stop is Jericho. God says, don't touch the devoted things. But Achan takes some of the plunder, hides them in his tent with his family's full knowledge. The call goes out. Somebody has sinned. Somebody needs to come clean. But Achan does not come clean. He does not come forward. His family doesn't come forward. And after the time is now gone by for, for the time to, to come clean, he doesn't come clean, and he ends up, he and his whole family, destroyed, and they're destroyed in the valley of Achor. It's the place of destruction. It's the place of damnation. It's the place of judgment. And God says here, I'll make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Even though you deserve judgment and you deserve the wrath of God, I'll take her out to the desert. I'll speak tenderly to her, and I'll say, come on back home. And it'll all be over. It'll all be right. Then she'll sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. That's when she first was redeemed. In that day, declares the Lord, don't miss this in verse 16. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Did you hear that? You'll go from religion to relationship. You'll go from just trying to do the right thing to measure up and do the religious thing, which the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that's what they were trying to do. They're trying to dot the I and cross the T, and they're trying to keep the law and all the man-made traditions they put around the law, and they've missed everything. And the relationship with God is one of religion. It's not a love relationship, because if it's a love relationship, then when you go away and you don't want to sin against such a wonderful bridegroom that's treated you so well and, and, and betrothed you and, and granted you the grace and the mercy that you did not deserve. And sometimes even after the wedding, or at least after the betrothal, you know, they were married here, and then she goes off to her old lifestyle, and I want to ask for a raising of the hands of how many of us have done that. Maybe some are like that right now. Man, when it's a love relationship, it changes the whole deal. Changes the whole deal. It's no longer religion. And if they'd done their homework, they would have understood. Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't know if you've ever really appreciated that. 
Under the law, Hosea's bride should have been stoned to death even before he had the opportunity to marry her. But instead, she not only is wed to Hosea, but after being wed, goes off to her old ways, but then she's invited back again. And in that context of that amazing love story, it's Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. David, after confronted by Nathan the prophet, he writes Psalm 51. I don't have time to read the whole psalm, but here's a little homework. Before the end of the day, why don't you sit, get along with God, and read Psalm 51, the whole thing. David opened saying, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Verse 5, he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Verse 9, he says, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquity. Verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. But don't miss what he says in verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. He understood. And no sacrifice I can, I can bring is sufficient. It's only the sacrifice that he offered for me that is sufficient. All I can do is receive his forgiveness and acknowledge my sin. And anybody that's experienced that kind of love and that kind of grace and that kind of mercy understands what Micah says in Micah chapter 6. Let me just read it for you. Don't try to find it right now. Just listen. Verse 6. Micah says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No, he showed you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? And here's what he requires. And he's talking about after you've received the grace and mercy because of the forgiveness of God. He showed you, O oh man, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. What's the point? Jesus said about the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, What are you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You're doing all the religious stuff. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here's the deal. Mark chapter 2, all they can do is condemn. Why are they picking the kernels of grain? Why in the world are they not fasting? And they're trying to keep all these religious rules because their relationship with God is one of a master. They got religion, but they don't have a relationship. And once you come into relationship and you understand and appreciate the grace and the mercy that you have been granted, that there was nothing you could do to measure up, nothing you could do to please God. The only thing you could do is accept the free pardon that he offers. And if they get that, because you've received mercy, now you show mercy. The message of Hosea is a love story. Amazing love story. But we're not done yet. <laughs> it's a fantastic ending. Let me tell you, it's a fantastic ending, not because I wrote it. God wrote it. Go back one last time to Hosea. Hosea, but now let's go to chapter 3. After being wed and after Gomer goes back to her old ways... And then God tells Hosea, take her back. 
And here's specifically what he tells Hosea. Chapter 3, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another as an, and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So, here's what he says. I bought her. Stop there. It is so bad that even though we don't know for sure, well, whether she was a prostitute to start with, I think she probably was, but we know she's a prostitute now because now, and we'll understand this in our culture, she's owned by a pimp. She sold herself into prostitution. The Lord said, go show your love. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. (laughs) You know what Hebrew scholars tell us? That when you add the 15 shekels with what else Hosea bought her for, guess what the total comes to? The equivalent amount. I bet you'll never guess. 30 pieces of of silver. What Exodus chapter 21 tells us without question, that is the price of a slave, which is exactly the amount that Zechariah prophesied and Judas received from the Jewish leadership to betray Jesus Christ. And for 30 pieces of silver, he was sold and he willingly offered himself to pay for the sins of the world. This is a love story. It's the story of the gospel. (laughs) But we're not done yet. (laughs) Go back now to Hosea chapter 6. And just before we come to verse 6, because your sins are so many, or excuse me, verse 6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Listen how it opens. Chapter 6, verse 1, come. Let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but he'll heal us. Torn us to pieces by his words through the prophets. They just said it like it was, and they tried to say it like it was to get them to repent. He's injured us, but he'll bind up our wounds. After two days, he'll revive us. On the third day, on the third day, the third day, he'll restore us. Folks, that's not an accident. The book I read from last week, the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary. Let me read from it again. From this statement, he will restore us. Let me read you. The Hebrew context, the Hebrew text conveys actual restoration from death, i.e. resurrection. You didn't get it? It's the completion of the gospel story. He offers us salvation to betroth us. The bridegroom says, I want to marry you. I want you to become my bride. And listen, everything about your life is forgiven. And I'm going to love you like nobody else loved you. And in the process of our relationship, I'm going to purify your life. And the day's coming. The day's coming because I've gone away now. I've gone away now, but I'm coming back. The bridegroom is coming back that we might be with him. There's going to be a great Wedding feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb, Lamb, Revelation calls it. Who's getting married? The the marriage is consummated. We're betrothed right now, and we'll never get a dear John letter from Jesus. But the honeymoon hasn't even begun because we're not physically with him. And one day we'll be physically with him, and guess what? The days of fasting will be over completely. And it'll be one unending, eternal feast, a honeymoon that never ends, all expenses paid by our bridegroom himself. 
It is a match and a marriage made in heaven. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of the book of Mark, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, Jesus showed himself as a servant throughout his life here on earth. He was a prime example of what we should strive for as we live our days to the best of our ability. Most times, serving comes at a cost or a sacrifice for those you're serving, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus exemplified this with his sacrifice on the cross, serving us in the most ultimate life-altering way. We trust that this gives you hope, perseverance, and an ambition to serve those around you in a way that reflects Jesus to others. If you want to hear this teaching in the Book of Mark again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading program. Also under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, we'd be happy to meet you at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in and learning more on The Living Word.